Is the driver the only one to blame in the Lakewood, Colorado crash? That crash took four lives in April of 2019, and it had received a lot of attention because of the outrageous 110-year prison sentence that was handed to the driver. That sentence has since been reduced to 10 years. We recorded this interview in November, shortly after the driver was convicted and sometime before he was sentenced. In a previous episode, HDT Editor-in-Chief Deb Lockwood takes a look at that sentence and its implications. In this episode, we're looking at some of the underlying causes of that crash, as well as what can be done to prevent similar crashes from happening again. My guest is Brendan Dawson. He's the founder and CEO of Accident Plan, and he's the organizer of the Trucking Defense Network. He's a former fleet manager and an experienced mountain driver, and he was an eyewitness to that crash. Brendan says that while the driver, Rohel Aguilera Medeiros, paid the steepest price for the mistakes he made that day, the carrier and the broker he was working for should be culpable too. We'll ask the question, should carriers and brokers bear some responsibility for putting drivers into situations they were never properly trained for? Before we speak with Brandon, I want to remind you to check out the video podcast on this subject. It's on our YouTube channel, Heavy Duty Trucking. While you're there, please subscribe to the channel and click on notifications so you don't miss any future episodes of HDT Talks Trucking. And remember to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we're HD Trucking. On Facebook, we're Heavy Duty Trucking. And you can find us on LinkedIn at Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. This episode is sponsored by Circle K. Get the most savings on every gallon when you fuel with the Circle K Fleet Card. Learn more at CircleKFleetCards.com. Well, welcome back to HDT Talks Trucking, the audio version of our uh, video audio podcast. I'm joined today by uh, Brandon Dawson. He's the CEO and founder of Accident Plan and the Trucking Defense Network. Uh, Brandon, before we go any further, I, I didn't do this in the video, but why don't you tell us what Accident Plan is and what the Trucking Defense Network is? Well, uh, thanks, Jim. Accident Plan itself is a crash management platform for the truck driver. It's uh, all the best practices rolled up in a mobile app that helps keep the driver focused on uh, managing the crash scene, gathering information, securing the scene, all of the things that a driver must do in order for the driver and the motor carrier to safe to effectively defend the claim, uh, so we provide custody and control of data and all of that information. And then, along with the trucking defense network, is a uh, is an integrated risk management platform where we're taking several of the technologies that are already available and bringing them into a single platform for the motor carriers and the users that provides visibility for their insurers into the operation so that we can help build better motor carriers and serve uh, a segment of the marketplace that is really underserved, which is the smaller owner-operator mom-and-pop style carriers. And so we bring those networks together with a network of professional people, all with a focus on defending trucking. Let's get back to our discussion on uh, Rohel Aguilera Medeiros. He was the driver who was convicted recently of 24 counts of vehicular homicide, careless driving, causing death, uh, vehicular assault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 24 charges. He'll be going to prison for a while, I suspect. 
As a former rookie driver, I made mistakes when I started driving, and I can remember distinctly the very first time I ever got to a big mountain, which in my case was the Donner Pass in California. I had never had any training. Uh, I had no idea really how to do this, and I asked a few other drivers how best to come down a hill, and they advised me at the time the truck I had had no engine brake on it, but, uh, you know, come down slowly and kind of pump the brakes. Uh, If you look at the CDL manual, that's pretty much exactly what it tells you. There's two and a half pages in the CDL manual on mountain driving, and it's the same two and a half pages in Texas and Florida as you find in Pennsylvania and Oregon and any number of other states that have mountains. How is someone supposed to develop skills like mountain driving if the CDL manual doesn't cover it? And there's really no other resources to go to get the information a driver needs. I mean, I'm sure that guy didn't get out of bed that morning going, I'm going to go and knock some people over at the bottom of a hill. But there you go for the want of the experience and the training you need. Look at this poor guy now. Yeah, his his life is ruined. And I promise you when he went to work that morning, he wasn't expecting to go to bed in jail that night. And he was not expecting to spend the best portion of his life in prison. Um and so to convict him of homicide seems a bit far-fetched for me. But back to your comment, Jim, we were all rookie drivers at some point, And I remember uh, feeling the same anxiety when I was first behind the wheel of big rigs. I had the advantage of growing up in this area where we'd seen the effects of runaway trucks in that same area many times mm-hmm. uh, in the runaway ramp that the driver drove past, which we should get to in a minute. We will, yeah. And I remember before uh, on I-70, because I live very near that area, uh, before they put the runaway truck ramp there, they, they, they used to crash trucks off the edge. So I have the advantage of bringing that perspective and memory with me when I went into trucking for the first time. But not many people do, and it uh, it really should be frightening. If it's not frightening – uh, for a driver to have to pull that grade under load, both up and down, it should be. It's a very, very stressful job. And uh, as you can see uh, by the results of this case, when it's not done properly, it can lead to disastrous and tragic results. So the solution, I think, uh, and this is one that uh, we'd like to start putting into our program, is uh, which is open education, education that's open for all. Is we want to start. We'll we'll be curating the material like uh, you showed showed me that your very own uh, training video for mountain driving. And it should be noted for the audience that Jim is an expert and uh, has participated in the de- development of some excellent mountain driving technical training. And so we would like to play that for everybody who comes along the route uh, through I-70 and many, any of the other dangerous mountain passes that there are in North America. Well, not shilling for that particular video series, but I, the approach that you mentioned yesterday I thought was brilliant. That program or something like it covering other topics where drivers could literally go to that resource, log in online do a quick uh, half hour, hour, whatever it takes, 10 minute lesson in whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, pass a little skills test or a quiz at the end, sign off on it. At least they've been exposed to it now have something to think about before they're, you know, starting down that mountain. So I think that's a great approach to uh, 
to a pretty serious problem, especially in a place like Colorado. Well, thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. And, you know, I've been participating in in um, uh, a town hall series discussion through the uh, National Transportation Insurance Association. And uh, one of the things that's very clear for the motor carriers, especially, you know, the larger segment, which is over 60 percent, are fewer than 25 trucks. So it's very clear that they're they don't have access to good training material. And that's where we want to bring that technology together. So in that scenario, imagine that driver coming from Vegas to Denver. And as soon as he hits a geofence along the I-70 corridor, he will receive, when the next time he stops, he'll receive a notice that he needs to take the training before he goes over the mountains. And if he's an experienced driver, he can opt out. If he's never done it before, he'll be grateful to have the material that you created. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, why wouldn't they watch it? The half an hour of their life, it could save their life. And many others, yeah. Well, does this speak to a failing of our driver training system in North America? I mean, there's no way you can teach mountain driving in Florida or Texas. It's unrealistic. Uh, nor can you teach winter driving in places like that. Yet, you know, Class A drivers run 48 states. They run into all those situations. People have talked sometimes about graduated licensing, where, you know, if you have certain skills, certain experience, you can go on certain routes, and the, the industry kind of goes, well, you know, that'll make dispatching awfully difficult because if I have a driver at point A going to point B and he's not qualified to be there, then I have to turn the load down. You know, it's a long song and dance. But uh, is there a, a better way of training people? Oh, I think so. I think the, the, the poor training at that level is, is one, one of the main factors in all of this. And it's not just, like you say, mountain driving, winter driving, fatigue management. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, all of those things, even coupling and uncoupling. Uh, I believe there is a better way. And I believe that we have the ability to put it together. Uh, and put it together now for for the benefit of all of them. And and one of our one one of our tenets here is to be able to make the training material available to all, openly available material, without without a subscription, free of cost to the user, and not only training for the drivers but training for the motor carriers as well. I know there's I had known for a fact that there are small motor carriers out there who don't even know what a driver qualification file is mm -hmm. or, or or they don't even know that they need to have a drug testing program at all. Hard to imagine, but yeah, I'm sure they exist. Yeah, they exist. We well, say, should hey, FMCSA be on top of that? Where's the regulator in this? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Jim, when you consider the audience of this podcast, how many of them are going to say, hey, I want more government regulation? I really want the government involved in my operation. Yeah. How many, Jim? About seven. Seven? <laughs> That's probably a generous estimate, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't think the FMCSA or any government organization is the solution. I think when we do a better job at the stewardship of our resources and the, the job that we're doing, when we become safer, we can make the government intervention less relevant. 
If trucks didn't crash, there would be no Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration at True all. True enough. We probably wouldn't need it. What we, we do, the trucks it. continue to crash. <laughs> I mean, it's not always the driver's fault, but getting back to uh, back to this particular case here, again, you've participated, you watched, you listened, you, you have a pretty good insight as to what was going on. So can we talk a bit about that crash per se? Like, what do you know about the event and how it transpired? Uh, well, there's, there's a couple of pieces of video out there. Uh, which we can post links to if you like. Uh, one of them shows the shows Aguilera's Madero's truck heading down the mountain pass and driving erratically at a high rate of speed past the warning signs that warn of the grade. So at the top of this downhill grade, it's about seven miles long. It's 12%. It comes right off the mountain straight into Metro Denver. And at the top of it, there are large illuminated flashing warning signs, warning truckers of the grade, warning truckers to check their brakes. And then the final, the final set of signs directs runaway vehicles into the arrestor bed ramp. So there's a, it's about a hundred yards long. It's going downhill. It's a bed that's maybe two feet deep and is full of pea gravel so that when the truck hits it, it slows the truck down and brings it to a safe stop. So there's video of Maderos driving past these signs and driving past the entrance to the runaway truck ramp. And once he passes that truck, he is on a roller coaster ride. He testified in court that he was in neutral at the time. He was trying to find a gear, any gear it would go in. He had no service brake application left. And if any of our listeners don't understand, when brake drum brakes get hot, the drum expands, and then you lose no you, you lose all contact with the friction surface. It's a sled at that point, and he's got nothing to be able to do but hold on to the wheel and hope for the best. And so he finds his way to the right lane, the breakdown lane, right, the emergency lane on the shoulder of the highway outside of the lane of traffic on the right-hand side. And he barrels down that lane all the way down the mountain. And he manages to get it all the way until he reaches Denver West Parkway. Now, what was going on on Denver West, on I-70 at Denver West Parkway, is another two miles ahead, there was a different accident. And traffic was all backed up. It was backed up for about a mile and a half. And so he comes down the breakdown lane. Traffic is stopped. He's trying to stay in that lane the best he can, but... As he approaches Denver West Parkway, parked on the shoulder of the road is another semi. And so when Medeiros approaches the semi, he testified that he had to do something. He didn't know what to do. He tried to graze the semi to slow himself down, and he hugged the wheel and closed his eyes. And that's the moment. In traffic, where I was facing the other the other way, I saw him make this arc and plow through the traffic. I saw the jeep 
fly up in the air. I saw another vehicle fly up in the air. And then he came to a stop in the number one lane. And he jumped out of his truck and he, and he went behind his truck. And I lost sight of him at that point. The truck was a flatbed completely loaded with two by fours. As soon as the impact took place, the two-by-fours scattered everywhere, creating a huge pile of kindling. All the heat from the truck immediately – now, I dialed 911 from the steering wheel on my car, and it took a couple of minutes to get through to 911 because they were so busy with the other accident. And so before I finished that phone call, the scene was completely engaged in fire. The truck, his truck caught fire within seconds after he left it. And then the fire just completely engaged before I finished my conversation with 911. Wow. I've never seen a really bad accident like that. I hope I ever do. I hope, I hope nobody ever does. It's a terrible thing to witness. It's a terrible yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. four people died. Just a reminder, we're speaking with Brendan Dawson, the founder and CEO of Accident Plan and one of the organizers of the Trucking Defense Network. We'll have links to both of those organizations in the podcast description. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, you could do us a great big favor by rating the podcast and giving us a review. Remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode of HGT Talks Trucking. You'll find links to all of our social media sites in the podcast descriptions. This episode is sponsored by Circle K. Get the most savings on every gallon when you fuel with the Circle K Fleet Card. Learn more at CircleKFleetCards.com. Now let's get back to our discussion with Brendan Dawson. Was there any testimony or, or conversation about why he went past the runaway ramp? Did he understand the sign? I... I I know there was an issue with English, uh, his comprehension or his ability to speak English uh, that was raised early days, you know, right after the crash. But did he ever say, I didn't understand the sign or I didn't see the sign or I didn't know what it meant? Did that come up? It came up in one account of his testimony. Um, and it's true. We can we can make it clear that as it, he was a Cuban immigrant and he would not have met the DOT standard for communication in England, in English. Uh, I read the, uh, the arrest affidavit, uh, and law enforcement needed an interpreter, uh, to, to, to get through that. So it is, it is understood that he's non-English speaking. He indicated in testimony that, uh, he didn't understand the runaway truck ramp because or he was confused by the runaway truck ramp because he thought they always went up. And this arrestor oh, bed okay. does not go up. It goes down. Now you can, we can be fairly certain he was unable to read the sign, which is an interesting question, Jim, because often, you know, as a as a technology provider to trucking in the U.S. and North America, we provide our product in English, and we often get requests: can we translate it to another language? Often mm -hmm. Spanish, sometimes French, Russian, even Punjabi. Yeah, which on itself isn't 
isn't an, isn't an abnormal request. But when I think about that and the, when I think about those drivers and the companies that insure them, I have to wonder what kind of risk are you covering when, when, when your client has to ask if they can get their application in another language. So there was, that was there. Um, he didn't understand. He didn't know what it was. He was, he, I saw the video and he was actually in the right lane in a position where he could take the ramp, but he veered left at that point, almost knocking another vehicle off the road all the way to the number one lane from the number three. So, and you can, you know, exactly what you'd expect. You, you, you talked a moment ago about what happens and what's going through your mind. Imagine, put yourself in that, in that condition when, uh, when you're driving down that hill on really a, it's a death train right there. Uh, one thing I know for sure about him is he's human. And as humans, we all go into our fight or flight mode and there's no, there's no making rational decisions. A lot of people say, well, why didn't he go into the guardrail? Why didn't he go into the median? Why didn't he go into the grassy field? Yeah, there were, there were ways for him to stop that truck before he got into traffic, but mm-hmm. I doubt he was thinking about them. I doubt he could have thought about them. Yeah. Well, one of the things I thought of when I originally wrote that commentary a couple of years ago, right after the accident, was experience. Or whatever that's worth, it teaches you things like what hot brakes feel like, you know, mm-hmm. from the pedal. Uh, when you put what your foot down and like? well, yeah, and that's the smell nobody has ever smelt it will ever forget, especially if they're yours. <laughs> but when you when you apply the brake and you push down on the pedal and you feel nothing happening, it's a sickening feeling. My God, I mean, you can practically watch your life starting to flash before your eyes. Would he have recognized? Do you think what 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 he was feeling in the pedal and made the made the connection between? Well, I can only speculate as the arm speculating. I know, yeah, I know. Pedal, but my guess is probably not. Yeah, you know, he might have had a soft pedal ten miles before that, but it's hard yeah. to say. It's just hard to say. And of course, everything was completely destroyed in the fire. The fire was was estimated to be more than than eight thousand degrees. At its, oh. at its hottest point. And so I don't know what forensic evidence might be left to indicate where his break, where his break performance was. Yeah, probably very little at that temperature. Let's talk a little bit about the company's responsibility then. Which one? Uh, the company he drove for, ah. Castellanos 03. Young Rohel is going to pay a pretty steep price for what happened that day. What happens to the carrier? Does he walk away scot-free? No, whoever's insuring him, he was insured for the minimum $750,000. Okay. So if he's got, if he's got any property beyond that insurance property, that, that insurance policy, they'll sue him for that as well. I'm guessing there's Mm -hmm. not much there. He only had about three trucks, one, which was destroyed in the fire. So, and I doubt the others were very valuable. So if he has no value, they'll sue him for $750. He'll close his doors. And in a cynical $750,000, right? $750,000. 
Yeah. For four okay. fatalities, 10 injuries, several hundred thousand dollars worth of property loss. Not even including the cost to repair the freeway. It's mm-hmm. not going to cover anything. Any criminal charges can be uh, laid against the company or the or the owner at this point? Not that I know of. Certainly the certainly the state of Colorado didn't believe they could make any charges against the motor carrier. But they re- they ruined a lot of lives that day, including Madero's. Yeah. I, and the, the lesson out here is for the drivers. Every driver yeah, out there yeah. on the road. The really the the thing I you, it's an observation I have about drivers, and I love each and every one of them, and I've worked with many of them for years and years, but they don't understand how exposed they are when they're out there. They just don't. And they need to know that. They need to understand it when they go in, and they need to know. Uh, they need to understand how to protect themselves pre-accident by driving safely, and post-accident by managing managing their own body of evidence. When you talk about them not getting the extent of their exposure, uh, I've written about this a uh, number of times over my writing career, uh, and it's based on experience from my driving career. When you've got a defect on the truck, even a minor one, like a breakout of adjustments, not the end of the world. You get it fixed, now wait till I get back to the shop. Uh, lights out, some minor mechanical problem. And then the unthinkable happens and you're into a crash. And all of a sudden the defense or the plaintiff's attorneys realize, hey, well, this truck had a breakout of adjustment, a compromise its stopping ability. Now, all of a sudden, what was probably a relatively minor crash, hopefully, now you've got some mechanical deficiencies implicated in that crash that can help tie another stone around your neck, pull you down to the bottom. So when drivers think that they're somehow getting away with something or they don't have to address a problem immediately because, oh, well, it isn't that serious. Or they're tired. When they're, when they're tired. Or they're, or they're away from home for a long time and they just want to get to the next place. Yep. It's funny, though, how much risk drivers are prepared to take on for whatever reason in terms of getting the job done. And I've done it. You may have done it, probably have. And I don't know too many other drivers who haven't gone the extra mile. You know, some people would call it that, Mm -hmm. Uh, taking things a little too personally, taking on too much exposure uh, for whatever reason or another. But my God, when when something like what happened to Rohel happens to you, even though you didn't intend it to, that's a a heck of a price to pay. That's a heck of a price to pay. And, you know, negligence, certainly. Certainly, Ignorance, most definitely. Yeah. But but homicide, not at all. So – Back to Castellano 03, and you mentioned the exposures. Uh, there could be some other exposures uh, taking place here. Uh, and that includes whoever brokered that load. I would like to see uh, coming under concerns for negligent entrustment because, you're, you know, the brokers have a responsibility here. They're contributing to the race to the bottom. And we mm-hmm. and the unscrupulous ones will book and any load with any carrier for the lowest rate they can and take their cut off the top. And so I believe there's an exposure there with whoever broke the load, which nobody knows yet until those records are unsealed. And you know what? There's, there's probably going to be an exposure, a significant exposure to the truck that was parked on the shoulder as well. 
And yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but I did discuss this uh, live on the air with two attorneys, one for the plaintiff side and one for the defense side. Uh, and Joe Freed, a good friend of mine on the plaintiff side, said, yeah, that guy was mine. And you can be sure that there's going to be some suits headed against that truck, that trucking company as well. Well, since you mentioned that conversation, uh, where can folks go to hear that or see that? It's on YouTube, I understand. It's on YouTube, our Accident Plan YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Accident Plan, and you'll see it. It's a series that we participate in called Motor Carrier Self-Defense. And this particular episode is called Find the Money. And that's with Joe Freed out of Atlanta, Georgia, and Doug Marcello out of the Philadelphia area. Uh, both outstanding, brilliant attorneys on either side of the bar and fine gentlemen as well. And Doug's contributed extensively to Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine, too. So we know him well. And yes, you're absolutely right. The credentials are unimpeachable. Uh, Brandon, we're going to wrap it up there, I think. Uh, Really fascinating conversation, and obviously we can go pretty far out into the weeds with this one, but let's leave it there for now. Uh, we'll have links to all those uh, spots in our show notes, uh, the YouTube channel, the Trucking Defense Network Accident Plan, uh, everything else we can think of, something about more about this story on uh, Rohel's crash in uh, Lakewood. It'll all be there, so if you want to read up on it, do a bit more research, that's where to find it. In the meantime, sir, thanks again for your time. It was a real pleasure having you having you back on HDT Talks Trucking. Thank you, Jim. It's always a real privilege to be here. I've been speaking with Brendan Dawson, the founder and CEO of Accident Plan and one of the organizers of the Trucking Defense Network. He joined us from his office in Littleton, Colorado. If there's something you'd like us to cover on the podcast, shoot me an email at jpark at truckinginfo.com. Remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Heavy Duty Trucking, so you don't miss a single episode of HDT Talks Trucking. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to give us a review and a rating. Your feedback helps us make every show that much better. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.